1: So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. I'm Cruz Guevara and welcome to the Bay, local news to keep you rooted. And welcome to our first news roundup of the new year. I don't know if it's weird to say happy new year anymore, but happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> it's still um, okay. <laughs> this is where we take some time at the end of the month to sit down with the entire Bay production team to talk about some of the other stories around the Bay Area that we've been following this month that we maybe didn't get to make an episode on. I'm joined by our senior editor, Alan Montesilio. What's up, Alan? Hello. And our producer, Maria Eskinka. Olise. And also a very special guest, our intern, Eleanor Prickett Morgan, who is in their second week with us here at KQED. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, very excited to be here. Well, before we dive into our news roundup, Ellie, I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I'm a bay transplant by way of Santa Cruz, and I've spent the past couple years doing some reporting with KPFA on housing and homelessness. I followed the Wood Street encampment for somewhere around a year through their eviction, and then I've continued to follow the community. And, um, yeah, I'm just really passionate about local news. And I know you've done a lot of stories um, out of the East Bay in particular, homelessness and housing. What kind of stories are you excited about working on on our show. I'm really excited to kind of expand the different areas of coverage. I'm pretty rooted in Oakland right now. And I'm also really excited to talk about potentially more labor issues, obviously, like the election coming up and maybe some transit stuff, too. Well, Ellie, thank you so much. It's really exciting to have you here. And we are so excited to see all the things we make with you. Likewise. And right after the break, we'll talk about the three stories that the Bay team has been following this month. Stay with us.
0: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.
2: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.
1: And welcome back to the Bay's Monthly News Roundup, our first of the year. We're going to go ahead and start with my story, which is about a recent wave of layoffs in the media industry and the role that some local lawmakers here in the Bay actually believe that tech can and should play in saving the industry from further catastrophe. Last week, the LA Times laid off 115 journalists, which amounts to more than 20% of the newsroom. Many of the cuts were to culture writers, the team covering LA's Latino community, the Washington, D.C. Bureau, which, I mean, of course, is really crazy to think about in an election year. The union says that the cuts also disproportionately affected Black, Latino, and Asian American employees. And the paper's owner, Dr. Patrick soon Xiong said the cuts were necessary because the Times could no longer lose up to forty million dollars a year without boosting advertising. It's also bringing renewed attention to efforts by some California lawmakers to hold tech companies accountable for their role in the plight of the media industry.
0: Can you explain to us how is the tech? industry connected to to news layoffs. So, I mean, if you think about
1: back in the day, right, when everyone used to get newspapers and the main source of revenue for those newspapers was the advertising, the Internet, platforms like Google and Facebook. As we all know, those platforms have changed the entire industry. Many of these newspapers are no longer making money from advertising in their newspapers, right? Because everyone's advertising online. And so the logic is that these platforms have contributed to this really devastating climate for news, while at the same time benefiting from the news articles that are posted to their websites.
2: In some ways, this is part of a much longer Story of local news getting cut and cut and cut. And when you say you know California lawmakers are trying to hold tech accountable, how does that factor in to this recent news about the LA Times?
1: There is at least one local lawmaker, Buffy Wicks, Democrat from Oakland, who believes that tech companies, including Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, have really benefited from the work of journalists whose stories end up on these platforms. And basically, there's this bill called the Journalism Preservation Act, or AB 886, that would require platforms to pay a journalism usage fee to news organizations.
2: This isn't a totally new idea. And from what I know, the tech industry is pretty hostile to any notion of paying for content that appears on their platforms. I have to assume something similar is happening in California.
1: Yeah, I mean, this bill actually stalled in the legislature last year, and its author, Buffy Wicks, decided to table it, essentially, in part because tech companies spent lots of money in 2023 lobbying California lawmakers and regulators against the bill. The LA Times, ironically, um, reported that Google had spent $1.2 million in ad campaign against AB 886 last year. And that proved to be successful. I mean, despite being passed in the Assembly in June of last year with notably bipartisan support, the bill stalled in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And also Meta went as far as to threaten removing news from its platforms last year, in particular Facebook and Instagram, if the
0: bill became law. So I imagine the tech industry is going to pour a lot of money into trying to fight this bill again. What's next for this bill? With the recent news out of the LA Times and this round
1: of layoffs, it's sort of come up again. Buffy Wicks told the San Francisco Chronicle that this bill and passing it will be a top priority of hers in the coming year. All right, well, that was my story for the month. Now I want to transition over to our senior editor, Alan Montecilio. Alan, what have you been following this month?
2: My story is, I would say, the latest chapter in the ongoing fight, argument, public debate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, about homeless encampments. San Mateo County will soon make it a crime to camp in public in unincorporated areas where shelter beds are available.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about the particular context around homelessness in San Mateo County? Like, why is this happening?
2: Well, like all regions in the Bay Area, San Mateo County has a housing crisis. It has a homelessness crisis. The most recent data we have uh, estimated about 1,800 people who don't have a place to live about a third of those are estimated to be living outside or on the streets. Now to be clear, this law is specific to unincorporated parts of the county, that is Mm. parts of the county that are not part of a city. But it does hit at this issue that residents and advocates and public officials are debating over, which is what do you do about homeless encampments?
0: How is this law going to work?
2: There's a number of criteria that you'd have to meet in order to be charged with a crime. You need to have been given two written warnings and you have to have refused shelter twice. And then on top of that, last week, they added a couple more provisions, including that there must be a mental health screening before the first warning and that unhoused people won't be charged money for storing their belongings because what happens a lot during homeless encampment suites is that people's belongings get taken away or thrown out or destroyed.
1: How do supervisors explain why they wanna do this.
2: I think it is striking that the board voted unanimously. Our colleague, Vanessa Roncanio, reported on this for KQED, and one of the people she spoke to was board president Warren Slocum. He really frames it as an issue of public health and safety, saying that you know laws like this will help compel people who are otherwise resistant into getting the help that they need, resources, and crucially, off the streets.
0: This is, a, a I think, a positive way to encourage homeless residents to get the mental health and drug counseling that they need, plus um, get a roof over their heads.
2: I think the operative word there is encourage. There is, I think, much more political will to compel people into shelter, into mental health treatment. if. Authorities can show that they've refused it.
0: That's what the supporters say, but I imagine a lot of people have something to say about that.
2: Homelessness advocates are strongly against this, and they and other residents came out and said as much at the Board of Supervisors meeting last week. One of the people who spoke was Tristia Bauman. She's the directing attorney of housing for the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley. She also spoke with our colleague Vanessa Roncanio about this. In many
1: ways, it is an example of the failed punitive strategy that uh, cities and counties have attempted to implement in response to uh, the growing homelessness crisis.
2: And you know, what Tristia and others are saying is look, you're just cracking down on people for living outside. You're not actually getting at the root causes of homelessness. Again, this is a, de- a debate we're very familiar with in the Bay Area. Supporters of laws like this will say, well, They've refused shelter a few times, so we now have the right to clear the encampment and in some cases charge them with a crime. Advocates and others would say people refuse congregate shelter for a variety of reasons. People don't feel safe. Some people might not want to leave their stuff there. Maybe they have pets and they're not allowed. Shelters have all kinds of different rules. You have to leave during certain hours. And so there's a whole host of reasons why somebody would much rather live outside than live in a congregate shelter. So this debate played out in San Mateo County. It's played out in Alameda County, Los Angeles, all over the state. And of course, in San Francisco, where, uh, you know, this is a different story, but the U.S. Supreme Court recently agreed to take up a case that gets at a similar question about what authorities can and can't do with homeless encampments.
1: Well, thank you so much for that, Alan. And last but not least, Maria, what do you got for us today?
0: We have a, another election story, but this time out of San Francisco, where Ryan Kojaste has officially filed paperwork to declare himself a candidate against Brooke Jenkins in the race for district attorney. Okay, honestly, that is not a name that I know.
1: Who is this guy? What is his background? What's his deal?
0: So he is currently a prosecutor out of Alameda County. He's 30 years old, which I think is pretty young when we're talking about politics. But I think he's most known for because he served under Chesa Boudin. But then he was one of 14 other staffers to be fired under Brooke Jenkins when she was appointed as a DA by Mayor London Breed. And according to the San Francisco Chronicle, he did say that he believes that he was fired because he wrote an article that was published in Gate, where he basically talks about reforms that were implemented under Chesa Boudin that should have continued
2: well, that's a good segue to, the, to my next question, Maria, which is what is Ryan Kojaste running on?
0: So this is interesting because he describes himself as having a moderate approach between Chesa Boudin and Brooke Jenkins. And he talked to our colleague Erica Kelly a little bit about this. I would view the past DA as progressive and the current
2: DA as conservative. And I hope to bring a balance and be a responsible, moderating voice on public safety.
0: He talks about both being someone that is willing to prosecute, but he also at the policy level is pushing against some of the things that Brooke Jenkins has done.
2: You look at Brooke Jenkins reviving failed policies like the war on drugs. Of course, drug overdose deaths will reach a record level if you just arrest drug users.
0: Yet he's also willing to prosecute and work with police. I've actually prosecuted crime and made difficult decisions to hold people in custody. I've asked for jail time.
2: I have asked for prison time. I have worked directly with police and victims.
1: While San Francisco voters won't be voting on a DA this March, they will be in November, right? And he is essentially the first candidate to announce Uh, that he's running against Brooke Jenkins. Is that right? What is the significance of this announcement?
0: Right now, San Francisco really has risen to the national spotlight when it comes to things like crime and addiction and homelessness. So I imagine that this is particularly a race that is going to get a lot of eyes, a lot of attention, a lot of coverage, and we have our first contender here. I imagine there's going to be more. And so I think this is really getting the wheels in motion and the, you know, it almost feels like the engine is starting to turn on for one of the biggest races this season. And that is it for the Bay's
1: Monthly News Roundup this January. Producer Maria Esquinka, thank you so much. Thank you. And Senior Editor Alan Montecilio, thank you. Go Niners. The Bay is a production of member-supported KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.